Welcome to the Alien Beer Podcast. My name is Chrissy Garrison. I'm an independent science fiction and fantasy author, and I will be reading my stories to you. Exploring a new place on your own can give you a feeling of independence and excitement. However, when that new place is an alternate dimension, and you run into people who are almost, but not quite, the same people you know back home, things can get a little dicey. In this episode of the Multiverse Blues, Jules gets to find out what impersonating themselves in another life feels like. They also make a startling discovery. Have you ever wondered what Hope, the alien singer in the Multiverse Blues, looks like? I have commissioned some artwork depicting her and will be sharing it with you very soon. The Multiverse Blues, Chapter 12, Dead Shrimp Blues The yellow line in my twin's virtual reality specs took me out of the massive Horizon Hotel complex and out onto the street. With my specs on, the scene overwhelmed my senses. The people in the bustling crowd on the sidewalks each wore handles floating over their heads, many with virtual avatars superimposed over their clothing. The cars that passed had their appearance augmented with fancy styles, race car numbering, neon piping, and even animated advertisements in some cases. The buildings seemed to be covered in gargantuan television screens, flashing ads and logos and ten-story smiling faces in such disharmony my head swam and I became dizzy. I found the control for opacity and turned it down to 20% and learned to keep my eyes cast downward to avoid becoming confused and overwhelmed. I marveled at the sheer scale of everything. Here in the heart of the city, it seemed the base of every building took up a full block, or even several blocks. Most of the buildings had enclosed connecting catwalks that crossed streets to other buildings. It seemed like Delta Earth Chicagoans could live entirely indoors if they chose to. And I could see why they might want to. The fall weather back home in Beta had been chilly. It had been frosty in Gamma, but here in the late morning Delta, I began to sweat in the sweltering air. I understood better why people wore skimpier clothing here, out of necessity. As a little experiment, I removed my specs to look at the raw world around me. Without them, colors faded to drab, cars and buildings showed their dirt and weathering, and the people on the streets lost much of their exotic glamour. The sky lost its blue, replaced by a yellowish layer of smog halfway up the tallest buildings. I watched in amusement as the foot traffic bent around a space that had contained a neon tree in virtual space. I considered standing in that spot for a respite from the chaos, but felt the urgency of my quest tug at me. I replaced my specs and resumed following the yellow line, which overlaid the streets like a full-scale GPS. After a couple of long blocks, the line bent and led into an elevated train station. Like everything else, the shabby station had a space-age sheen in virtual reality. I began to understand the appeal of turning the opacity all the way up, as Patrick had suggested last night. Had that only been last night? Waking up in a new world, wandering away from my new companions, seeing Patrick, and meeting my own doppelganger all in a few hours made it seem like days ago. The yellow line led to a square with Millennium Park inside it. A train arrived, so I hopped on and grabbed a vertical rail. I watched the electronic sign, which had a virtual counterpart that followed my vision. People on the packed train car ignored one another, staring straight ahead into their specs. Some doodled or typed in midair, some swiped in front of them as though turning pages in a large book. After half a dozen stops, 
a voice announced the Millennium Park station. I exited to the train platform and let the current of people sweep me along the yellow line. A metro train station stood on one side of the street, but the yellow line led across from it into the pyramid-like Delta Earth Arch Authority building. The glass walls of the great ground-level hangar-like space afforded a somewhat clear view of the massive arch and numerous trucks and transports inside. Though I followed the line, my stomach tightened, not knowing what I might be getting myself into. I had no desire whatsoever to pass into the fascist ox, especially not alone. I stood outside the glass doors to the arch station, annoying people for whom I'd become an obstacle. I gathered my courage and followed the virtual path inside. The guiding line swept past the registration and ticketing counters onto a wide bank of escalators in the far distance. As I passed the second Unamas coffee kiosk on my way to the escalators, a startlingly familiar voice called out to me. Jules, came the voice of my ex-fiancee, Samantha. Jules, baby, slow down. Anxiety rose in me. I had no nerve for a confrontation just now. Then realization dawned on me. This wasn't the Sam I left at the altar. This was Delta Sam, about whom I knew very little. Anxiety escalated to panic, and I debated just running for it. Her hand touched my shoulder, and I stopped and turned to face her. My heart melted at the face smiling at me. With no other ideas, I just blurted out, Hey, Sam, fancy meeting you here? She wore black culottes over bright red tights, her top covered by a white silk short-sleeved blouse. I'd never seen her strawberry blonde hair cut that short in an undercut before. My Sam wouldn't have dreamed of anything that wild. She stood on tiptoe and kissed me on the lips. She wrinkled her nose, freckles gathering in a pretty constellation across her face, just under her specks. Silly, is that any way to greet your wife? We both work here. Why wouldn't you see me? Missed you at the weekly status meeting an hour ago. Everything okay? Wife. So Delta me had gone through with it. And we worked together at the Arch Authority? I nodded, heart racing as I struggled to make conversation. Sorry about that. I got caught up with Patrick at brunch, then ran into an old friend. I hope I won't be in too much trouble. She laughed. Oh, yeah, like you ever get in trouble. I swear you can do nothing wrong here. I think maybe it comes with your clearance level. I know if I missed the status meeting, Ms. Davenport wouldn't let me hear the end of it for days. Ms. Davenport, I exclaimed, caught off guard. I tried to cover for it by saying, oh, don't worry about Marcy. She's all bark and no bite. Delta Sam studied me for a long, uncomfortable moment. You really think so? Huh. I held up my hands. Hey, don't tell her I said so, okay? Or maybe she'll try and prove me wrong. She laughed, and I forced a laugh along with her. Before she could launch into another difficult line of conversation, I held up a finger. As late as I am, I'd better get going. No time for Unamas today. She shrugged and handed me a hot paper cup. Who's always looking out for you? Who's your favorite wife? She fluttered her eyelashes and watched my face with great interest. A lump of guilt weighed heavy in my stomach, and I doubted the coffee would help wash it away. I sipped at the piping hot liquid. Mocha, my favorite. Okay, you're my favorite. She grinned and patted my bottom affectionately. I knew it. Don't worry, I won't tell Patrick that either. Oh, the other Jules had said that Patrick was, quote, one of his spouses, quote, plural. I risked a joke. I can't imagine how I'd get along without either of you. Now, I have to go, okay? 
She pouted at me and hooked a dainty little hand around my elbow. Nope, you can't ditch me that easily. I'm in meetings the rest of the day, so I'm at least going to walk you up to your office. The yellow line led down an escalator. Sam led me upward several floors to a labyrinth of partitioned cubicles. Without specs, each cube had blank gray carpeting for walls, unadorned. But with specs on, each had been plastered with posters, clocks, photos, and even animated virtual pets. No workstation sat at each, only a chair. No need for a monitor or a keyboard when one had specs, I supposed. As we walked, the specs tried to reroute me back downward, but I resisted its nagging to keep up appearances with Sam. I hid behind the mocha and let her down her on about the very corporate details of the day ahead of her, responding with, uh-huh, and oh, and that's terrible, at what seemed like the appropriate points. As we arrived at a cubicle that looked pretty much like all the others, she said, Here's your stop, baby. Now give me some sugar. She flipped up her specs, and I saw her eyes clearly for the first time. Could I tell the difference between my Sam and this parallel Sam in those sparkling sea-green eyes? I stepped toward her, uncertain whether I had an answer to that question. But she stopped me with the palm of her hand flat against my chest. She pretended to scold me. Rude. Specs up, darling. I don't make the rules. I just enforce them. I slid the VR glasses up on top of my head and waited. Much better, she proclaimed, and pulled me in for a tight hug and intimate kiss. That lump in my stomach fluttered a bit, then sank even heavier into my gut as the thought came to me, did I make a mistake leaving my Sam? And then, with a wave, Sam bounced off, lost to view in Cubeville. I sat down at my desk for a moment, partly to blend in and partly to catch my breath and get my bearings. The other jewels had decorated the cube's walls with show posters from rock concerts, theatrical productions, and moving photos of Sam and Patrick, alone or various combinations with and without jewels. A virtual screen appeared in front of me on the desk. My specs still overlaid a yellow path down the corridor, now leading to a bank of elevators. I pinched the map in to show me where it led, down to a basement corridor to an area labeled Generator, and a specific lab titled Coral Classified. The line ended there in an X. I suppose X marked the spot Delta Jewels wanted me to see for myself. I raised my hands and a ghostly keyboard formed under them. I tapped out, What is Coral? and was met with No Entries Found. I clicked the error on the Coral Classified label, and the word Classified turned red and enlarged. A bubble popped up next to it, which read, That information is not available via specs. Please use a secure terminal for access. I had no idea where a secure terminal might be, so I took a deep breath, stood up, and began to follow the line once more. I struggled against the urge to hold my breath as I made my way through the winding paths between cubes on my way to the elevator. My random encounter with Sam had gone as well as it possibly could, but I had no confidence in my ability to bluff the next co-worker. I drew in a deep breath and let it out in a relieved sigh as I made it to the elevator lobby and pressed the down button. As the elevator in front of me opened, a tall, mustached man stepped out and pointed at me. Jules, I have got to get with you about the latest from Ox. I waved him off. Later, sorry, I'm late for a meeting as it is. He shot me with a finger gun and said, Gotcha, I'll put something on your calendar. I dodged around him and got into the elevator car. The SB light glowed yellow in my specs, so I pressed it. I pressed it a few more times in hopes of getting the elevator doors to shut before anyone else could join me. One floor down, the car stopped, 
and let in a lithe Latina woman, cool as could be, behind her specs. The tag overhead said, Barbara, marketing. I decided to take a chance. Hey, Babs, how's it going? She turned and regarded me like I was a bug that had landed on her lunch plate. Yes, she glanced up at the handle floating above my head. Do I know you, hmm, Jay Martin? I frowned, not sure what to say next. In the space my indecision left, something dawned on her face and she smiled. Oh, you're Jules, Martin. I'm so sorry not to have realized. You have me at the disadvantage, Mix Martin. I didn't know you knew who I am. I played it as cool as I could. I nodded. Your name has come up in meetings. Let's get lunch dump time. The elevator stopped at the ground floor level. She flashed me a nervous smile and said, Sure, I'd be honored. I'll send you an inner office message. Without waiting for a reply from me, she dashed out into the lobby and the door shut behind her. I hoped this jumpsuit didn't show off sweat stains because this time I was quite damp from being at red alert through the uncomfortable encounters. Alone at last, I rode the next few floors down to the sub-basement level and followed the yellow line down a long, breezy corridor lit with old buzzing fluorescent tubes at intervals. The walls had signs painted with foot-high letters. The signs pointed back the way I came, saying, Elevators, Main Complex, and forwarded with Arch, Generator. A few people passed me going the other way, and they touched fingers to their specs, like one might tip a hat. I returned the gesture. As I approached the far end of the subterranean corridor, the walls vibrated with a low thrumming that didn't help my nerves one bit. I soon found myself standing in front of the door that contained the X at the end of my journey. What would I find inside? I imagined a room full of photos, news clippings, and strings to connect them in an intricate web, all tracking Hope's location and planned appearances. Or maybe a control center with banks of monitors and terminals, live footage of each of my new friends showing on each. Would the person behind the attacks be sitting in the middle of the room where the X marked the spot? Should I have come armed? The other jewels hadn't said so, but maybe I'd been too gullible, trusting them like that. Maybe it was an elaborate trap, meant to draw me away from Hope and her crew, to capture me and wring information out of me. I could still turn around and go back. I could rejoin my crew and tell Hope what little I'd learned so far. Maybe Harlan could get some information out of the Delta Jewels specs, so I wouldn't have to put myself in further danger. Or maybe the specs would lead a would-be killer right back to Hope. I drew a breath and opened the door. Inside the room marked Coral, I found a giant cylindrical tank, reminding me of antique iron lungs I'd seen in books. Windows along one side showed it to be mostly full of water, lit with a soft pink glow. There was a printed label under the window on one end, which said, Coral. Also, in the tank floated a body. Not just any body, but a dolphin-like one. A dolphin-like body with limbs and head and muzzle very much like Hope's. A Tristellian, except this one was naked, with subtle differences in coloring and shape. This body also had wires attached to bands around its wrists, ankle, and neck. The wires led off to a bundle that left the tank from the top and fed into what looked like a cabinet-sized computer. A single monitor and terminal sat on a desk next to the computer, away from the tank. I peered in at the body and found one of the occupant's eyes staring out at me glassily. I tapped on the glass and called out, Hello, are you Coral? The eye blinked twice. 
The body let out a series of shrill squeaks and clicks. My specs translated for me, providing the reply in subtitles. Help me, said Coral. Please help me. Thank you for listening to the Alien Beer Podcast. If you like my stories, please visit my website, sillyhatbooks.com. I publish as E. Chris Garrison, and my books may be found in paperback, ebook, and audiobook format on Amazon.com and other places. The theme music for Alien Beer Podcast is Phantom from Space by Kevin McLeod. I very much enjoy feedback on this podcast and on my stories, so please leave comments on my website, visit me at at EC Garrison on Twitter, ECrisGarrison on Facebook, or drop me an email at ecg at sillyhatbooks.com. Do you like horror movies? Do you like collecting things? Do you like collecting Blu-ray special editions of horror movies? Well then, The Horror Academic's Guide to Movies is the show for you. It's a web series where every month I pick one modern classic and determine which is the best version that I recommend that you should own. I talk a little bit about the history of the movie, and in the end, you get to see what films should be in your home collection of horror's modern classics. That's The Horror Academic's Guide to Movies on YouTube every month, and now part of the Project Entertainment Network. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.